You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, uh, we are going to get into our message, but before we do that, um, I woke up the other day seemingly awake at a time I wasn't expecting to be awake, and I, I wasn't really sure. Sometimes when that happens, I'm like, God, is there someone you need me to text or check in on, or what's going on there? Uh, and I just noticed after a few minutes in the back of my head was the word Bethphage, uh, which I... I knew that was like a place in the Bible, but I don't know much more about it than that. So I was like, well, what the heck is that doing in my head? And usually when I realize that there's something that makes no sense for me to be thinking about at a certain time, especially when it's outside of my wheelhouse of wording or anything like that, I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit, is that you? Are you saying something? So I'm giving this word for you guys to kind of lean into and discern before we hop into the message. I immediately pulled out my phone, looked up the word Bethphage. It's a town that Jesus goes into before he sends the disciples out to get a donkey so that he can get on it and then enter in for Palm Sunday. Um, and I looked up the meaning of the word, which is house of unripened fruit. And immediately, like, I just had a sense in my spirit, I guess. Uh, I've been praying for some time, God, where are we trying to head with 1208? What should we be doing? What are you up to? And uh, are we doing what we should be doing? Things like that. I felt like this word was kind of an answer to that. Uh, House, often churches are calling themselves houses these days. Um, And I felt like it was just like a a heads up that like we're moving forward, but we haven't ripened yet. And the reason for us not having ripened could be a hundred different things. It could be things ripen in their own time. So Jamin, be patient. It's coming. Could be a simple word like that. Uh, sorry, it, the word again was house of unripened figs. I think I said fruit. The difficulty is figs in the Bible <laughs> are in the New Testament. They don't have a lot of positives connection to them. They're usually kind of like a, a fruit that often brings judgment upon it. And it's a, it's a fruit that's like, look, this needs to grow or it will be cut down kind of feeling is what the Bible has. Um, And so as I was kind of just thinking over what God might mean behind that, there's a bunch of things we could say. We could say that he's just uh, need to be patient. It's coming. Um, But in the end, I sensed like uh, right now we are trying to grow the fruit and the fruit is there. It's just not ripe yet. And the reason as to why it's not ripe, I don't fully know. But I, I feel like that's something I'd like to encourage each and every one of us to pursue the spirit with. There's a bunch of different ways you could apply it. I mean, at the board meeting this past week, one of the things that we were talking about is we need to learn as a church how to be a generous and giving body Um, because we're often saying, look, if we don't bring in income by the end of this year, like it's pretty much over. Like we're out of reserves and savings at that point. So how do we generate income? And our minds often go to, well, who can we ask outside the church to give money and things like that? And there's this pause in my spirit of like, no, that's not fruit. We as a body need to be giving And God will bless us beyond that if it ends up that the funds of our own people can't generate the church. But we shouldn't be looking for someone else outside of the church to be faithful where we are not, right? So, like, that could be a way in which uh, we need to ripen. Another way might be um, repentance. 
The first word God gave us while we were doing this relaunch was cherry blossoms. There's space for renewal at 1208, but you need to repent to make space for new gifts. Maybe you feel in your heart that you still haven't repented. Maybe you haven't made amends. Um, if you want to walk in what God's doing, then you need to be able to walk in repentance. Repentance in the Old Testament meant you were walking one way, but now you turn around and went 180 degrees the other way. Or in the New Testament, it meant you radically changed your mind. So maybe there's something you're holding on to that you're saying, no, God, you can't have this. And God's saying, I need that too. Repent. Give it over to him. Or maybe it's fruit. Maybe we still have things that God told us to do early on when we were creating our new model and we still haven't gotten around to it. Um, there was a big focus that we felt the Spirit putting on us in women and children, things like that, um, as well as uh, other avenues of the marginalized. And uh, we're still trying to make our way into figuring out how to do that. Whatever the case may be, I encourage you over this next week. In fact, Casey reminded me of this. Every day that you see 1208, which happens twice a day, <laughs> if you're up late enough, stop and pray. And one of the things that you can pray for at 1208 a.m. or p.m., is, God, what do I need to give in my life to ripen the fruit of who I am so that your church might be able to bring heaven to Jackson? So be praying in that and discern into that. If you get uh, any inclinations from the Holy Spirit or something that's a little bit more communal for all of us, let me know so that we can be the body. Uh, I am not the body. I am just one of the components of it. So you, you become part of the body and let me know what the Spirit's up to. Okay, so that's just a word of a heads up there. We are in Luke 5. Luke 5, verse 17. And this is a strange passage. It's one that many people are familiar with. It's the healing of a paralytic, you know, that guy kind of lowered down through a roof, things like that. And we often look at this story because of its elements of incredible faith. I want to look at it from another avenue that is largely ignored in this story that strikes us as very strange with the way that we think of how the spiritual world and Jesus' teachings work. Because it, it feels a little off from like the typical evangelical brand that we're used to hearing. So hear this passage, and then we'll talk about it. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? And God alone. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, Rise and walk. But that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, 
and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they were glorified and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. All right, now usually when we preach this passage, our focus is on the paralyzed men, right? Because, I mean, it's a pretty extreme faith to go to somebody's house and cut a hole in the roof <laughs> and then lower your friends down without hoping to accidentally drop them. You know, like the lengths to which these people go to get their, uh, to get their friend inside of this house to be healed, that's extreme. But what's very strange is the way that the passage ends. Because now we're talking about forgiveness and there's this huge deal made about it. And the reason that there's this huge deal about it is because the Jews had this common understanding that there is only one person in this world, or outside of this world, if you will, who can forgive sins. And that there is a day coming that they preached about and that their prophets preached about. It was this huge day where one day God will bring all humanity before him living, dead, in Sheol, in the underworld, in heaven, and on earth. Not one single human being will miss this day where they are all brought before God, all of their sins are exposed before him, and they are judged. And the only person in that moment who could forgive sins would be God. And so when Jesus looks at this man who is paralyzed and says, you're forgiven. Well, that's, what, what is, hold up. You know, like the Pharisees are like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that's a God thing. Like, that is his job. You think as a human being, you can walk over to this person and, and tell them forgiven, that they're forgiven. You think you can do that? No, 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 no. Their charge is held over their head until that day when God judges them. But Jesus looks at him and the room goes silent as he says, you're forgiven. And the Pharisees are, are angry about this. And there's maybe one or two ways that they could go about this. The first way is that they could think, well, okay, maybe some human beings can forgive people, but it's only on God's behalf, and they're always like the high priest or someone really high up in charge. And now Jesus is making himself out to be that. Or the other way, which I think makes more sense here, is that Jesus seems to be likening himself to God which we know that he is, but in their time, they don't know that. And they're like, what does he think he's doing? He has spoken blasphemy. He's, he's about to get smited right in front of us, right? That's kind of how they're perceiving this forgiveness thing. And so Jesus goes a step further. He's like, what do you think is harder to do, to forgive someone their sins or to tell this paralyzed man for years to get up and walk? Which one do you think is harder? You're telling someone who's paralyzed to walk because that's not possible. That's not, that's not reasonable. That's not science. That's not how the earth works. That's just outside of the realm of possibilities. Those of you in here who have a sickness that you've been dealing with for a long time, if I looked at you and said, what do you think is, is more difficult to tell you that I forgive you or that your cancer's gone? You would say the cancer, right? The cancer, that's, that's the one that's unreasonable and difficult. So Jesus, in this moment, like he gets the Pharisees' attention. What do you think's harder, for me to say I forgive this man or for me to tell him to get up and walk? 
And Jesus is setting them up. Like, they're like, whoa, wow. Not only has he blasphemed, but this is the moment. We're all about to watch him get struck by lightning right in front of us. Because he's, he's trying to say, if I tell him to get up and walk, like, that's clearly a God thing. And if I can do that much, then I can also tell you that I forgave him. Which would validate in Jesus' Jesus's audience. Like, it would be validated that Jesus could forgive him if God honored him immediately after and, and told this guy to walk. Right? Because who, who, who wouldn't be smited for their blasphemy immediately after blaspheming and then trying to go a step further? I'm not saying it very well. But if you're following me, just like if I can do the lesser thing, I can do the greater thing. If I can forgive, I can also tell him to stand up. And so Jesus does it. He says, I say to you, get up and walk. And the Pharisees are waiting for Jesus to fall down dead, I think. For blaspheming right in that moment. But then the man stands up and the Holy Spirit heals him. And it's clear that God has empowered this moment. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If God is allowing Jesus to raise him from the dead after that statement, then it must be true. He must be able to forgive people. But then Jesus goes a step further. And he looks at all these people. And this is recorded in, in Matthew's account of the same thing and uh, Mark and other places where he then encourages everyone that they can forgive too. And the audience doesn't know what to do with that. Because in Matthew's account, it says that they are surprised that the power of forgiveness has now been given to humanity. <laughs> you imagine for thousands of years, no one knew they could forgive anyone <laughs> What a bitter place to be. And of course, they did, and they found ways to do it. But right here, Jesus takes like a, a forgiveness that is a spiritual power and gives it to humanity. Did you know that you can forgive? Did you know that you had that power? See, that's not the way that we talk about forgiveness. We, we talk about forgiveness as this lowly thing that we have to do for people who hurt us and and those people who have made our lives miserable, Jesus makes us do it. Do you recognize that that is a spiritual power that has been given to you as a Christian? That you can choose to exercise a godlike power that he has reserved for the, the last days in which he judges all humanity. That you can choose to exercise a power to forgive people. Because this is the way of the kingdom. We are all in our humanity about bitterness and rage and holding things against people. But Jesus was all about forgiveness. And he kept encouraging his disciples everywhere they went. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Do it as quickly as you can. If you do not do it quickly, you give Satan a foothold on your life. Forgive, 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 forgive. And then Jesus showed us the ultimate statement of that. While they're killing him on a cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus goes the ultimate distance to, to make the point that forgiveness is the way of heaven. That forgiveness is the way of God. In other places in the Bible, you see this power exercised too, where Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, look, if you forgive anybody anything, it's forgiven them. As though the, the ability to forgive has been delegated to humanity. And Jesus also says, if you don't forgive them, it's not forgiven. 
And that, that part makes some people excited, like, yeah, I'm going to hold their sins against them. They're going to see judgment. But then if you look at the other passages of Jesus, he says, by the way, if you don't forgive them, I don't forgive you. <laughs> You're like, well, well, that means that I can't hold it against them. Jesus is like, yeah. And that's part of what forgiveness is. If you truly want someone to face the real judgment of God for their sins, then that is not something you should be speaking into or living into. You simply step back and you say, God, you're the one who gets every element of this court case. I believe I have been wronged, but I'm going to leave it in your hands. So I forgive them, and now it's up to you as to what you're going to do. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, um, you see in one of his letters, he's, he's offended C.S. Lewis, his good friend. And C.S. Lewis was kind of upset about some of his criticism of some of the works he was doing. And, and Tolkien didn't realize how much he had upset him, so Tolkien wrote this letter. And, and at one point, he's explaining uh, forgiveness in the middle of the letter. And, and he, he tries to think of forgiveness in a, in a new kind of light. He's like, look, um, let's say that somebody robbed me, and I chose to forgive them. Essentially, by forgiving that person, I've actually changed the scenario of what that robbing was. Instead of being robbed, I've actually now gifted them that thing that they took. And so now, on the courtroom date, let's say God brings us all together, and God actually brings that person and me right to light, and I'm paraphrasing at this point, but he brings us together, and he sees this judgment. And this man should be guilty of having stolen from me, but I look to God and say, no, no, that's a gift. It's very lay Miz, right? That's a gift. He can, he can keep that. And Luke, uh, Tolkien wonders, like, what if in that moment any good that came from that gift that they stole from me, like God then looks to me and he's like, yeah, actually, because he benefited from this gift in these ways, you actually get to inherit some of the goodness of the gift that you gave to him through your forgiveness. So Tolkien sees this like, what if forgiveness is actually even like a benefit within judgment of heaven? Uh, he also wonders, what about all the offenses I've caused? Tolkien's like, what about all the offenses I've caused? And I get to the day of judgment, and all those people are brought before me, and they're pointing the finger, except instead of pointing the finger... They're not. They have already forgiven me. And I feel this weight in the courtroom of, of everything that I've done. And people look at me, and, and I'm expecting it to come. But then everybody's like, no, no, we, let's water under a bridge. We forgave that a long, long time ago. Can you imagine heaven like that? The day of judgment like that? Where the people that you've offended have actually already given it to God. And when they could point fingers at you, they're like, no. We, we forgave you a long time ago for that. That's a good moment in the day of judgment. And I know within the evangelical world, we're always talking about judgment as two forms. There's heaven, there's hell, and that's kind of like the extent of it. But if you pay close attention to the way that Jesus talks and Paul talks, yes, that's true. There's heaven and hell. But there's varying degrees of both. He talks about how Nineveh will not be judged as harshly as the people who didn't listen to him when he was there in the flesh. How does that work? I mean, if both are seeing hell in that moment, then why is it different? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But there's actually like a varying degree of difficulty, of judgment that they would face based on how they lived. 
And if you look at heaven, you see these moments of saying, store up your treasures in heaven. Not everybody does that. You see in Revelation that those who gave their entire lives and were beheaded are actually the first to enter the resurrection, and that others who gave up some of their lives but not the whole thing come in a little later. I don't know what that means as Revelation, but that's a varying degree of heaven as well. And so you recognize that forgiveness is this power that we hold. It's a power that I think can affect the way in which you enter that day of judgment and the way in which you enter eternity. From Jesus' perspective, forgiveness, unforgiveness is poison. It's bitterness. It will kill you. It will destroy you. It will give Satan a foothold on your life, and it will rip you apart. Have you experienced that? I know I have. And I've told my stories probably too many times from the stage. Classic one that I always, always tends to come to mind is after I forgave someone, I had to do it like two or three times in one sitting, and then a pain that I felt in my body went away. Another time, I did it two or three times in one sitting, and I felt something unlatch off my back and fall off. I know that doesn't make any sense, but I could tell like there was a spiritual weight I was carrying that I did not recognize. Unforgiveness will destroy you, and Jesus knew that. Unforgiveness is a weight that you will carry all the way to Judgment Day, but Jesus has come and declared a very passionate and surprising truth about humanity. Yes, God is the ultimate one who makes judgment calls on all things judgment, but you, you have that power distributed to you too. You can forgive right now. That is a power that you carry. It is not a burden. It is not a, oh, do I have to? That is a power. And it's a power because it sets you free. Even people who aren't Christians have talked about this. Eva Kaur, who was, uh, went through Nazi Germany and was a twin, and therefore had a twin sister who went through incredible evils because they did especially bad experiments on twins at that time. She lost her sister, and though she didn't believe, uh, though she doesn't believe in God, she came to the point of forgiving. And through that forgiveness, she found herself released from all the pain. And she talks about it just from like a secular worldview as like, look, if you want to be free of all that pain that you're carrying, you got to forgive the classic statement, uh, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. You're the one that you're hurting. How many times I've been in this room doing inner healing or deliverance and casting out demons, how many times has it come back to memories that hardened someone's hearts that had to be worked through to get rid of the memory and allow Jesus to heal it so that they could get the demons out. How many times? Pretty much always. Demons are coping mechanism attached to memories that we didn't know what to do with. And if you want them to go, you have to heal through the way you coped with it last time to break that bond. Unforgiveness will mess you up, but the power of forgiveness will free you. It's a power that you carry now. It's a power that you will carry at the last days because Paul said one day we'll actually judge angels. 
that humanity, Paul said, will be given the power and authority to look at angels and judge their sins. You carry a strong power. And while you could live in unforgiveness, you will actually condemn yourself by doing that, is what Jesus says. You have a power of forgiveness that you must always, always, always exercise. That's not saying that what happened is okay. That's not saying what happened is right. It's recognizing that it was wrong and stepping back to say, I give that to God. As far as it goes for me, I forgive you. And God will declare his own judgments in time. So Jesus, we come before you right now looking at this strange passage of the power and authority to forgive. It was a power that you carried, Jesus, the Son of Man, so you can see that he has the power of forgiveness. I will tell this man to stand up and walk. But it was a power that you said in that passage and many others that you extend to humanity and to your followers. What you forgive, I forgive. What you don't forgive, I don't forgive. And at the same time, forgive everything and do it quickly. Jesus, we don't want to be burdened with judgment and hell and we don't want to walk into the afterlife having, as Paul said, just kind of scraped by by the skin of our teeth. Where Paul talks about how we're all building houses right now and one day they'll all be set on fire. And anybody who still has part of the house will receive a gift in the afterlife. And anybody who had the whole thing burned down, yeah, they'll still have the foundation of Christ, but they'll kind of skirt in by the skin of their teeth. Jesus, we don't want heaven and our lives now to be just enough for judgment, just enough for heaven. We want to build heaven right here in Jackson and in our lives and in our fruit. We don't want to be unripened figs. We want to find the full fruition of what you are looking for. We want to see baptisms and salvations. We want to reach the lost. We want drugs in our area to go away because people have found Christ. We want abuse of all kinds, physical, sexual, to end because people have found Christ. We want to be a safe place for our community. so we declare forgiveness over our community right now. That regardless of what's going on right around us in all of our own houses and streets, we declare forgiveness. And now we lead them to the one who forgives them. And the people in our lives who have hardened us and hurt us most, that have brought us down, that when we lie in bed, we think about how badly they hurt us and we can't stop thinking about it. And even when we're doing other things, there's stuff going on in our subconscious about them. We forgive them right now. Forgiveness is not emotion. It is a decision. You have the weight of what they owe you, and you can release it or you can hang on to it. We make the decision to release Jesus, if you can release it while they're murdering you on a cross, we can release it anything that comes our way. So we release. Anything done in this building or within our own church 
or within the history of this area. We forgive it, and we give it to you, Jesus. Teach us to use this power you've given us well, and to walk in the strength of what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.